Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. The episode today is a continuation of my experimenting with combining articles and blog posts with podcast commentary. This time, I actually read the article and stop at certain points to ask the author questions and expand on the written content. I would really like to know whether you find this valuable and whether you like me reading with interjected questions specific to the content that I just read or the way that I did it in the previous episode with Ashley, where I talked more generally about the topic. Or perhaps these don't do anything for you at all. That's okay. Please let me know that as well. Jim Fitch is my guest today. He wrote an article for the in the shop series titled six tips for facilitating digital transformation in manufacturing. Jim wears a lot of hats at new way engineering in Des Plaines, Illinois. And one of them is implementing digital technology. I found his article spot on, but as many articles are edited down for easy reading here, we get a chance to riff and go deep on what is truly a passionate subject for Jim and one that he's thought about over his decades in manufacturing. Let's get started. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Jim. Hi, Jay. Nice to be here. I appreciate you asking me to be part of this. Yeah. So I came across your article on Paperless Parts website on there in the shop, the little section, and I thought it was really relevant today, particularly as we're trying to do more with less. And essentially, we have to make technology do that for us. And you contributed with the marketing team there for an article 
titled Six Tips for Facilitating Digital Transformation in Manufacturing. And I had a whole bunch of other questions and wanted to amplify what was in the article. So that's why you're here today. So thank you very much for first participating and getting your thoughts out into the article. And I look forward to exploring a little more what is behind all that. Well, I'm glad to be part of this. And again, I wrote the article because I think it's relevant. I think it addresses, you know, digital technology is great on its face, but it doesn't do you any good if you can't get people to use it the way it was intended. And that's kind of what I was trying to address in that article is bringing everybody along for the ride. Yeah. What we're going to do is I'm going to actually read the article and then I'm going to stop at certain points and ask you some follow-on questions. I will suggest though that if there's certain points where I don't stop, please let me know. And if you think that there's something that didn't make it into the article that's relevant, let's get that in there as well. Sure. All right. So again, the article title is called Six Tips for Facilitating Digital Transformation in Manufacturing. And this is with Jim Fitch at New Way. In life, as with organizations, I subscribe to the truism that rigid objects break and flexible objects bend. I find that it's better to remain flexible in contemplating change than to dig in and resist. And yet, our industry has a history of resisting change, especially when it comes to adopting new technologies. The problem is that if we allow ourselves and our employees to adopt rigid thinking regarding skills and capabilities, we cannot bend, stretch, and grow without the risk of breaking. Competitive companies are embracing Industry 4.0, implementing tech strategies, and integrating groundbreaking innovative solutions on the shop floor and in their front offices. As leaders, we face a unique challenge. How do we convince our employees, in some case peers in leadership, to stretch themselves? How do we encourage our teams to embrace digital transformation instead of resisting it? So obviously there was something in this introduction behind why you felt compelled to share this. Maybe you touch on that? Well, sure, yeah. And that introduction really summarizes my experience in leadership. I've started companies, shut companies down, run them. I'm in an engineering leadership role right at the moment. But at every stage of my career, every time you try to introduce something new, there is always a group of individuals who resist. Why do we need to change? This works the way it has always worked. We've done it this way, you know. Mm -hmm. And that restricts the organization's ability to, as I mentioned, stretch and grow. You don't know if a new idea is good until you try it. Mm -hmm. And you have to get past the trying it phase to embracing and engaging with it to make it better so that if there's parts of it that are maybe not working the way we thought they should, we can work to get them to work the way we, we would like them to work. But that first step is to say, I'm open to change, that the fact that we've always done it this way doesn't mean that's the best way. It just means that's the way we settled into doing something. It was in particular pointed at the paperless implementation at our facility here, but it has broad-based application. 
Yeah. And I think it definitely goes well beyond implementing technology. It sort of doesn't matter what the change is. There is human nature and tendency to resist. I always cut my grass with the push lawnmower. Why do I need one that pushes itself? <laughs> well, let's continue. Six ways to make digital transformation easier. I recently faced my own challenges with digital transformation at my company, New Way, when we decided to implement quoting software paperless parts. Not all of our estimating and engineering team members saw the benefit of adopting a new digital approach to quoting. As the leader of these groups, simply issue a directive or implementing this software, period, and consider the case closed. However, that's not how I choose to lead. My question for you, Jim, is when did you decide to lead this way as opposed to the command and tell way? Uh, well, as I mentioned just a short while ago, I've been in many leadership roles and I started in industry in a non-leadership role. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, to know what's better, you got to know what's bad. And so mm -hmm. I personally witnessed and experienced what I would consider to be poor leadership and poor leadership practices. And I, you know, have been a bit of a studier. So I have read up on a number of, you know, through management courses and so forth, trying to when I was running companies to be better at doing that. And like any skill set, it requires study, introspection. You know, there are techniques that work and techniques that don't work. And so that's really what I mean is that there are many organizations I've been involved with or have had interactions with where you can see the command and control. Now, there's a place and time and place for that. The building's on fire. It's command and control. Yeah get out. But most of the time, you're really in a role of trying to help people see what you're seeing. And at the same time, be open to hear their concerns and issues as well, because you don't know everything. Were you on the other end of the command and control where perhaps early in your career, you were told what to do and that was it, period? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know if I consider myself to be a typical human being with typical psychological profile, people don't like to be bossed around. You want to be guided, not bullied and pushed. I mean, and there's a spectrum there all the way from my way or the highway to, you know, no leadership at all. And that, that neither end is desirable. So somewhere in the middle where you're more of a collaborative approach, I think that's the way I would characterize it. I approach it as more of a collaborative, you know, I am in charge, but let's talk, you know, ultimately we're going to do this, but let's, you know, I'm trying to lead the horse to water. Yeah. Did you ever have any formal training in leadership in management outside of the efforts that you made on your own? Yeah. Or earlier in my career, I took some courses and went through some, it was mainly sales training, mm -hmm. but sales training kind of falls into leadership. There's different methodologies for sales you, approaches. You're not going to boss your customers into a sale. Bingo. You know, I look at everybody, everybody's a customer and everybody's a supplier. Yeah. It just depends on where you are in the food chain. Instead, I've been looking for ways to make this transition a win-win for the company and for our team. These strategies have made my conversations in our transformation 
the digital quoting a little easier. One, make personal connections. When teammates are hesitant about adopting new tools because they are resistant to change or don't see the relevance in their roles, I make a personal connection. I explain how the software will, in time, improve their job or their colleague's job and why that matters. Even when an employee doesn't directly interact with the software, they can appreciate something that makes their colleague's job easier. Jim, could you go into a little more detail about how you make those personal connections? Give us a, a real granular example. Well, sure. Let's speak about the estimators themselves. I have two estimators, full-time estimators working for me. Mm-hmm. They're very, very good. They're very seasoned guys. They know the business backwards and forwards. They're very good at what they do. And so when we brought this new system in, you know, you talk about the automation part of it. And what I had to make clear to them is the automation doesn't take away anything from their experience or their knowledge or our trust in their, their experience or knowledge, but rather to automate portions of the process, build into the program, the knowledge and the experience that they have such that it isn't building a term paper every time you do a quote from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, can we automate some of the more rote portions of the process such that it leverages your ability to get to a basic answer more rapidly. And then you, as an estimator with all your skill, go through it and review it and tweak as you see fit. And if you see the need to be tweaking it all the time, because I see paperless as a super programmable calculator, we can change the calculations in the calculator to make it more closely match what you think it should be. And then the flip side of that is we want to be testing this system against reality because at the end of the day, what I view the paperless as, or this level of automation is it's a modeling system. I'm trying to model reality as close as I possibly can. And the reason for that is because of scheduling. You cannot schedule a shop if your estimates, which are the inputs to that process, are not in alignment with what's really going to happen. And so no matter how good of an estimator you are, if you're not double checking your work and making sure that what you estimated turned into a pretty close to an actual, then you still haven't achieved the goal. Both now are not in sync. I liked how you used the word rote. Mm -hmm. And at Rapid, I had a saying to everyone, we want to automate the rote so that you can focus on the value add and Think of your number one connection here, make personal connections. How many estimators enjoy setting up quotes, taking an email, doing all the things before they actually get the quote apart? Wouldn't it be really nice to minimize that part of it? And that is change. But for me, that would be a a really positive change that I don't have to do this mindless task over and over again. Well, I want people to do just exactly, to spend more time looking at the result than getting to the result. Yes. Number two, addressing the learning curve. Digital transformation were easy. Everyone would have done it already. I acknowledge that learning new systems take time and that integration of these new tools and practices takes time and is an ongoing process. This approach 
helps folks adopt a beginner's mindset and shows them that they aren't expected to know everything about the software on day one. Jim, when I read this, my thought was, absolutely, there is a learning curve. How do you think about allotting time? Because while you're implementing paperless or any other software, or even getting a new machine tool up and running, you still have to carry on and make parts and generate revenue and all these other things. So how do you think about the allocation of time to that learning curve and what's too little, what's too much? Uh, maybe I'm I'm overthinking it here, but maybe you can comment on that. Well, sure. I guess I would lead by saying I am a tinkerer by heart. So I come to new technology with the kid under the Christmas tree with a pile of parts, you know, trying to figure it out. So I am almost daily in paperless, finding new ways to tweak it and make it behave better. So that's me. For the rest of the team, yes, took a little more measured approach where you don't have to know what's happening behind the scene. I'm happy to explain to you what is happening behind the scene and why. But let's focus on just getting you functional in the system where you can load the parts into the system, you can run the processes, tweak the operations and so forth and get functional in it. You don't have to know what's going on in the back room unless you're interested, then I'm happy to tell you. I'm in the process of writing a user guide based Mm -hmm. on how we put the system together because I know how it works, but nobody else does because they didn't do it. And there's a ton of customizations that have been put into it. Another decision we made too was we have many years of estimates in our current ERP system. And so the decision was made, I think, to make it easier for everybody that if it's an existing part that's come up and we need to do a material refresh or something like that, we would do that in the old system. We would just leave it there. We're not going to push it through the front end of paperless. It's not brand new. So we kind of separated. So anything brand new to the business is coming through paperless and anything that's legacy or the update is minor, we'll leave in the old system because that's familiar and comfortable and, you know, and less work, frankly. There are occasions where we will take something where this one needs a fresh look and we'll push that through paperless and give it a fresh combing over to, to uh, get it to where our thinking is on estimating today. Let me drill in a little bit more. And did you say, okay, I'm going to give you an hour and I don't expect you to be quoting. I expect you to somehow learn an aspect of the software. Did you take chunks of time and specifically say it's okay not to be doing and this chunk of time should be learning? Or was it a combination of two? It was a little bit of everything. Yes, it was that. First thing we did is we sat in a conference room and ran through some quotes on screen, kind of showed them how to do it. Then I had them do it while we were sitting there as a group, kind of so that there was a, a yep. transfer of knowledge. And then when I got them started solo, I said, here, take a simple one. Here's some simple parts. Let's just do those just so you get the feel of how to navigate what does what, and now they're doing very complex quotes. So once they got comfortable doing single level parts, which are pretty simple and straightforward, and then did a few where you had more involved bills and materials, I should say that here at New Way, we do a lot of very complex quotes. There can be hundreds and hundreds of parts in the quotes that we do and wow. real high value stuff. So we do a lot of integrated assemblies and, and it's not just 
a few bent metal parts and a weldment. It's that plus you know wiring plus plumbing plus mm. you know, refrigeration systems, heating system. You know, it's all kinds of stuff. So because of the complexity, yes, it took a little bit to get to the point where they're now able to take large programs like that and run them through paperless. So yes, it was a crawl before you walk kind of process. Mm-hmm. And pretty much every day as we go through programs, I'll have an opportunity to sit down and say, here, you might want to try this. You're always tinkering and learning or tweaking the system and you then you're sharing that. Absolutely. And also I'm kind of, I don't want to say auditing, but I'll review Mm. quotes they're doing and I'll see things they're doing. I say, you know, you don't have to do it this way. Here's an easier way to do it. I see what you're doing here. Try this. Well, I think this leads into number three. Number three, be patient and ask for patience. I commit to being patient with my team as they get up to speed on the new tech. And I ask them to be patient as we ramp up the software. I encourage employees to withhold judgment until we've fully integrated the system and our team has been trained to use it effectively. This reminds me that we had a lot of change which happened at Rapid. And I learned over time that this was a competitive advantage for us because we took people, and I think we're going to get into this a little later, but we took people who say were typical in the industry of their level of resistance to change. And we got everyone within the company to know that change was a constant mm-hmm. and that you weren't going to be punished for failure for taking the time to learn instead of do. And specifically, I ensured that my managers did not punish individual contributors for failures for for trying a new approach, for wanting to do it a different way. And as that became embedded in our culture, it became really a strength. And that's how I interpret this uh, rule for digital transformation. What else would you add to that? Well, I absolutely 100% agree with that mindset, Jay. And what I would say is that it kind of harkens back to the old saw that there are no stupid questions because Mm -hmm. any question that's asked, even if it seems ridiculous, is insight into that Mm -hmm. person's thought process. And it's a perfect opportunity to use that question as a potentially teachable moment Mm -hmm. to help them understand. And if you're not asking questions, you're not growing. You can't. Yeah. And so I much prefer people would, well, I don't know why we're doing this because the, you know, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why we might want to do that. And sometimes you have to do that in the context of the, the overall strategy of the business itself. You know, somebody <laughs> on the floor who is only really focused on what's right in front of their face, as opposed to stepping back and thinking about how their particular value add contribution adds to the whole, what's their role and how does it play relative to the role of the entire business? And frankly, that business's interface with their customer base, which as we all know, though they have changing, the market has changing demands all the time. And, and again, back to the original thought, if you're inflexible, you're not adapting and growing and stretching 
to the changing conditions in the marketplace. And at the end of the day, every business has to re remain relevant in the market that they happen to be playing in. And so that has to translate itself all the way through the entire organization. And the more you can engage with your employees at every level and help them understand why we may be doing certain things we're doing, help them under, I call it a story. You know, mm -hmm. every project needs a story. It's not mm -hmm. just a pile of parts. This is something very important to the customer and it's important for these reasons. And if yes. you understand that while you're bending the parts, why this is so critical and important to this customer for the project or the part or the device that they're building, that helps create kind of a personal connection to the end result. So it's not just a pile of parts that get finished by Thursday and go out the dock, you know, off the dock door. This is a project that has some meaning and some importance to the end customer. And I think it's very important at leadership levels to try and connect everybody in the organization to the goals, the individual goals, larger goals, global goals, you know, so that they understand the role they play in the business. Number four, request technology trust. To give the new tech a fighting chance, people have to trust it and use it as it's intended. If my team goes into the software and overrides the automation that we've carefully set up, they'll never experience the system's true capabilities, nor will we have the opportunity to tune the system to generate better results. I loved your way, Jim, of the, that phrasing technology trust. I think that's unique. I hadn't heard that before. How did you come up with that concept of technology trust? Well, uh... I think that sums it up. It just, uh, in my mind, that sums the issue up perfectly. Okay. You know, it's not like a, a catchy phrase. It just, to me, trust in technology. You you use a spreadsheet. You know, if one plus one is going to equal two every time. So you have trust mm -hmm. that the spreadsheet knows what to do when you tell it what to do. In a much more complex manner. As I said earlier, paperless is a giant programmable calculator. If you're finding that you have to overwrite things, I want to know why. Why well, I didn't want them to overwrite things. They were, and they still do. And I have to kind of mm -hmm. say, look, if you felt that you needed this rate versus what was calculated, tell me why. Tell mm -hmm. me what was part of that decision process. Because if we can capture what is happening in your decision process, let's see if we can't bake that in. It's a very powerful tool, but it's not, you, and I'm constantly tweaking it to try and put more intelligence into it, quote unquote intelligence. And I find as I use it, that in many cases, the default calculations now are pretty much good. They're there, you know, where it can find things to identify. Can't see certain things, can't see wells, can't, there's things that geometry doesn't tell us. But the good news is I'm seeing that more often now they are using the calculated results. So I credit that to me listening to them and pulling from them why they felt the need to change, adjusting the formulas to try and emulate what they were coming up with or why they felt the need, and then seeing that there's less of that happening now. So I think it's an iterative process as you refine the tool your trust grows because you're making the tool fit you better. It's doing what I want it to do is I want it to behave like an experienced estimator. I love this, Jim, because every shop has jobs that you lose money on. 
And a lot of times it, you go back and it started with the estimating. Yeah. And so I viewed those not as failures, but as you just talked about, the opportunity to trust the technology better. And what we would do is we would figure out how our rules failed us. And then we would adapt the, and this is when Rapid had our own internal quoting systems. And we would adapt those and we would never get bit by that mistake again in estimating because it was coded and it wasn't in someone's head that they had to remember that. Right. And I'll give a specific example. We used to have a, you could put in a hem mm -hmm. into a sheet metal part. Well, we got bit one time and I don't remember the exact details, but the costing of a closed hem as opposed to an open hem, there is a difference. And we said, okay, we're actually going to take that hem line item and expand it into a little more and, and give the estimator the ability to check box, whether it's an open, whether it's a closed, and maybe some other parameters on that hem. So we expanded that hem. After that, we loved hems because we were always charging the right price for them. Right, right, right. I mean, I just did something yesterday. We, as I mentioned earlier, we do bid a lot of projects with high value items, high value purchased items. And it's not terribly unusual mm. to have projects where 70 plus percent of the bill of materials cost is purchased items. And so we can't do our normal markup on what would be normal purchased items like hardware and screws and hinges and things like that, where you can get away with a more Mm -hmm. standard markup. So I built a discounting function into the purchase part operation. So you put in the, what the price is, it's a $5,000 monitor, but I can't, mm -hmm. my best buy, I can't sell monitors at 25% markup very, very much. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> yeah. So you, the approach is to take it more like a fusion model. I'm really buying and reselling stuff with some yes. value added at the assembly end. But I built a discounting feature in there that if you say, I want a target markup of say five or 10% on this item, it'll reduce the cost of the item down to a level so that when it goes through the final markup, it equates to that 10% markup. And so it's just another little tweak to make it easier to take manual calculations out of the, you know, out of the process. You don't have to do that manually anymore. And it's just that times over kind of like your hem example, just more and more we come across something, I'll come across something and go, oh, we probably need to do something about that. Yes. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Yes. Number five, discuss mindset. When there's pushback against learning something new, the resistance usually isn't about the new thing itself, but the effort it takes to learn it. And because something familiar and known is being replaced with something unknown. If folks feel insecure about learning a new system, I acknowledge that they are excellent at what they're currently doing and encourage them to embrace the potential for learning new skills. I also ask them to consider the benefits of expanding their knowledge. The more skills you acquire, the stronger you are as an individual and a professional. Jim, I'll also add, you probably can make a little more money. So I was going to um, say, you can't know too much. I'd like to take this and 
think about mindset from the beginning. How do you think of mindset, evaluate mindset when you're hiring people? Well, in the interview process, oftentimes I'll ask questions about, you know, a theoretical problem and how you might approach it. And that helps me see what that what that problem solving mind you know process looks like you know it's very difficult to know but you can simulate a situation verbally and see how the thought process that the individual has for how they would tackle a problem same thing here yes I know you're really good at what you're doing. Yes, I know you've done it that way for decades, maybe. But is there anything really, truly wrong with learning new ways to do something you've always done? If you can give me a good reason why you shouldn't learn a new skill set that may be transferable, to your point, that will likely increase your value to the company, Mm. tell me what's wrong with that. I don't understand why that would be a bad thing, you know? If I can drive a nail with a hammer, been doing it that way forever. But if I get a pneumatic hammer, I can drive a lot more nails and save a lot of wear and tear in my body. That sounds like a good thing to me. Yeah. Number six, promote benefits. To obtain buy-in from my team, I tout the benefits of new systems. For example, I discuss the ubiquitous access that paperless parts quoting software provides us. Team members can get into the system from any computer and aren't restricted to the workstations here at work. I also remind them that work can be done anywhere. Paperless Parts is also highly customizable, which empowers us to adopt and implement the tools quickly and see fast results. Also, the ability to customize the software makes it future-proof. We can readily modify it as our business evolves, so it remains relevant. I think we talked about that, Jim, and and how we were iterating and spiraling in. But I remember one of the early testimonials that was so powerful, and I knew we were on the right track with the software, was when we were told by a customer that he quoted a part on the sideline of his son's soccer game on a Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a win. Have you had any examples of offsite where not only perhaps you, but other team members, they say, hey, that for them, it was a win and brought a smile to their face. And it's like, okay. You know, I haven't heard anything specific from my team on that front. And I think that's because they work when they walk in the door. (laughs) Okay. They work when they walk out the door. Me, that's yeah. a little different. Work is wherever my thought process says it's time to do something. So I recently flew to California to visit my daughter who lives out in Carlsbad. And while mm-hmm. I was on the plane, I was in the midst of a very large, uh, we also internally developed products for customers. And we had a large digital display for a company that does ad displays on grocery stores out in front of groceries. So it's outdoor enclosure, very involved, a lot of stuff in it another item Mm -hmm. with a lot of high value purchased items in it. We got on the plane and I thought, hmm, I'll pay 25 bucks for the Wi-Fi in the plane. Let's see how this goes. Now it wasn't great, but I got a lot of work done on that airplane. So I was quoting at 36,000 feet (laughs) (laughs) on my iPad. And like I said, I wouldn't want to do it that way all day, every day, but it worked. Yeah. So it's amazing. 
Now, you can't do that with premises-based software. They're just simply not possible. Yes, and that leads into the most digital software is going cloud-based. So I'm going to read the next session, mm -hmm. which talks about how it was a challenge, but then it actually swung the other way. Meet objections with realistic assurance. Some team members may still object to adopting new technologies. The most common concerns I've heard about are data storage and internet outages. Skeptics ask, where's your data? Is it secure? And what happens if the internet goes down? I understand these fears. I try to remain realistic and reassure my team that we can handle a catastrophe. I remind them that the internet is a utility in today's world, just like electricity. It's a mainstay in our daily lives. The threat of the internet going away isn't realistic anymore. And if it goes down, that will be a temporary problem we can manage just like we do when the power goes out. As for data breaches, cloud-based digital data storage systems are far more secure than local storage or paper files that could vanish due to a break-in, fire, or flood. There are risks with every data storage method, but I believe a digital cloud solution is the least risky option. Talk about digital cloud and why you think the way you do, Jim. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been messing with computers since there were computers to mess with. So I started in the mid seventies, monkeying with computers. Mm. So I started with, you know, cassette tape data, yep. you know, way back at the very beginning. As I've watched it evolve, and when, when SaaS-based applications started to come out, I thought to myself, that is the future, period, done. And I still believe that very strongly to this day. If I were to start a business tomorrow, I don't know that I would have any premises-based software at all because you don't need it anymore. Mm. You don't need the infrastructure. You don't need the IT team. You don't need the room that's air-conditioned. You don't need to worry about backups. You don't need to worry about, you know, can I get to it? Again, the, for all the all the same reasons, you know, you can have your ERP system and cloud-based. You can have CAD systems that are cloud-based, and we, you have one and use it, and it works great. And estimating software, and so on and so on. It just makes, to me, makes perfect sense as you look at the whole spectrum of concerns. You know, accessibility, customability data security, availability, blah, blah, blah. How does premises-based software even compete? It doesn't. It's, it's, it's that simple. It does not anymore. It's not limited by, it used to be desktop was more powerful and the SaaS-based stuff was a little more generic and, and without the depth of features. That's just not the case anymore. It, it just isn't. Google Docs work great. Yeah. You know, it's just... What? There's, there's just no point in that anymore. But believe me when I tell you, and I'm sure you guys run into this all the time, that is a very strongly prevailing mindset. That if I don't have it in my closet, in my front office, I don't know where it is. I don't trust it. I think the data security is underestimated by a lot of shop owners because everything's great until it's not. And all it takes is one mm -hmm. team member to click on the wrong link in an email. And all of a sudden, all mm -hmm. your on-premise data is held 
hostage and you've got to pay that ransom to unlock it. And bingo, that doesn't happen when you're in the cloud. No, I remember we, we had that big air conditioned room at rapid. We had, we, we had a really great it team and, and our data. So our, this, the systems and the security were pretty robust and we, and that happened to us. Mm-hmm. We, because of how, and literally we would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on it. And it wasn't all Microsoft windows or SolidWorks. Right. It was a lot of this backup and security and, and it paid off because we lost about an hour's worth of data and we told them to go away. But most shop owners I know are not, that's another world. Yeah. And you know what? In a sense, what you're saying with cloud technology is I'm going to leave it to the experts and that's how they implement it. And then I don't have to worry about it. Well, what's your value at? I mean, really, what are you trying to do with all this premise? I just need a tool. I need the wrench when I need the wrench. That's, that's a right. You, how many I, people work on their own car these days? Right. You know, particularly the ones with all the electronics. Right. I don't need to know how to make the wrench. I just need the wrench. That's yes. it. And when I fire up my Chromebook or my iPad or my desktop, I just want it to be there. And if I'm at my daughter's house in California, or if I'm sitting on a plane at 36,000 feet, I want to turn it on and I want it to be there. And I don't want to worry about all the nuts and bolts it takes to make that happen. That's for smarter guys than me to figure out. Yeah, I think you're applying your smarts and and you want to apply your smarts in a different way. Correct, correct. Pick your battle. That's right. Time is now for digital transformation. If you're contemplating digital transformation, now is the time to do it. Your competitors have already gotten started. Set up yourself and your company for success. Keep two considerations in mind. Number one, use the technology as it's intended. When implementing new digital tools, there's a tendency to start slowly, trying to recreate current operations with new tech. Don't. Technology was designed to improve upon existing systems and workflows. You'll miss out on the tool's full potential if you place too many restrictions on it. Paperless Parts in particular is a highly customizable tool set that really is only limited by your own imagination and willingness to invest the time making it your own. So I want to get into this one a little bit because the tendency is to not trust the technology and to say, okay, the process we have that works, we're going to duplicate it when we implement, whether it's paperless or something else. And you're saying don't. So that, that takes a lot of courage or change. And perhaps do you think for some companies that's too big of a jump? Does it depend on, it seems like you're pretty progressive in your mindset and how you've been coaching your team, but maybe you were talking with an owner who is not that comfortable themselves with change. How would you, what would you say to them? Well, like anything new, you know, the guy that had a great set of horses and a beautiful buggy, what do I need that car thing for? This thing, this works great. I understand it perfectly. It's worked fine my entire life. Why would I even want to mess with that? It's noisy. It drips oil or whatever the heck that stuff is falling out of the bottom. Why would I even mess with that? Because 
if your eyes are open and you're looking at the landscape around you, you understand that that's where things are going. And so maybe that's the tinkerer in me because I will gravitate kind of naturally, I guess, towards new things because I'm always interested in trying to figure out, is there a better way to do the same thing? Horse and buggy was get from point A to point B in a known fashion. Obviously, the same thing holds true with software technologies. As each iteration of software that I've experienced and I've gone through all of them comes out, each is really kind of building on, is standing on the shoulders of the, the solution before it. Mm. And because of that, it, there are some things that are, I want to say new, there are new approaches or new ways of accomplishing something that had been done that's slightly different before. But oftentimes there's some new, new stuff in there, new approaches that if you don't take the time to invest in learning it, you will never realize what it's capable of. The point I was trying to make is when you bring in new technology like paperless and we have a coding system that we're accustomed to, what I don't want to do is replicate that exactly. If there's anything good about the old estimating system and it's not in the new tool, let's see what we can do to bring it in. I will tell you there's nothing in the old tool that I would bring forward, having worked in depth in both now. And so the old system was completely manual. Like everybody else had all kinds of spreadsheets or cheat sheets on your cork board or whatever it might be, tables to come up with rates, as opposed to paperless, which is completely dynamic in nature. That's far better, period. That's just better. And so when the team wants to replicate, I say, no, no, we're not going to do that. And here's why. And that goes back to the very beginning. My job in part is to be a salesperson <laughs> for this technology. <laughs> and so I'm going to try and promote the benefits. You know, how does this better leverage your time? How does this better leverage your experience and, and your knowledge as opposed to having to constantly open up spreadsheets or look at tables and stuff that are very not dynamic in nature. They're very fixed in nature. And so it's a process. Bringing people forward is a process and it takes a multiplicity of approaches. It can be very personal. It can be directional. It can be by illustration, showing them you did it this way. I did it this way. This results better. I did, it was faster, you know, and so on. And so it's a combination of all those things. And over time, the new tool will become the tool. But it's not the tool until they become comfortable with that tool and adopt it as their own, as their standard method for doing the job. And that, that just takes time. And, and so the underlying piece of this is a lot of patience. I mean, determination, you know, I'm not going to let you just dig in your heels and stay put. That's not going to work. We're going to have to keep moving, but know that I am there every step of the way with you. And if you ask a question, I will do my level best to answer it. And if you have a comment or a concern, I'm open to hear it and let's see what we can do to ad address your concerns. And 
eventually this will become your tool and it's not my tool that I'm telling you to use anymore. It's your tool. I think that leads in perfectly to the last part here. Number two, build a forward thinking culture. Embrace taking chances and calculated risks. By demonstrating your openness to change, you'll influence your company culture and make it easier to drive digital transformation. Industry 4.0 is upon us. If we want to win business and grow, we must get on board with the digital era. Right. And that leads to a, a very big, kind of that large scale strategy point I made earlier in our discussion. And that would be, tell people all the time, we are competing with everybody on earth. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, Northern Illinois, Massachusetts, California. We're all competing on a world stage here. And so anybody with the right resources can buy the same equipment we have. You know, I can set that up in Alaska. I can set that up in China. I can set that up anywhere. If I can find people that are interested in working, they can be trained. And so there is every reason in the world to try and get really good at estimating because that's where it all starts. You don't even get the chance to prove yourself unless you get the order. And so I have a long thought. I've even written estimating software back in the 80s for the first company I worked for. They were doing it all on paper with a manual calculator, and it was completely Stone Age. Mm. And I wrote them. I talked them into buying computers <laughs> such as they were <laughs> in those days. And then I taught myself basic and wrote them nothing even remotely close to paperless, but wrote an estimating adding up system. And I've always thought that any little advantage you can get in this competitive, it's, you know, think football team, think baseball team. I got a pitcher that can throw a little bit faster. I've got a a little edge here. Same thing in in manufacturing. I've, I've got practices you know, I've been in so many shops and looked at financials and everything else. They're all more alike than different. There really aren't that many differences, really, when you peel back the lid. All yeah, same, I totally agree. <laughs> all the same stuff over and over again. So it, it's really people and tools. And it's maybe in that order because the tools anybody can get now. But it's how the people use the tools that makes the competitive advantage. And so, yes. I think thinking strategically, if you think in terms that you're really competing with the entire world, then every effort, then it should be the the very next step should be that everything we need to do has to be at a world-class level. Thinking primarily, the thought process primarily. And I would say anybody that has a business, think about how you stack up against your neighbors. Just because you are getting orders today, just because you have something in the bank at the end of the month, is that the best you can do? Can you do better? And would you object to doing better? The hammer and the pneumatic nail analogy, you know, I can hit a, I can hit so many nails an hour with a manual hammer, but I'm tired at the end of the day. Wouldn't you want to do it with a pneumatic hammer? Can you do what you do every day better? And if you get incremental improvements, those incremental improvements generally show up in the bottom line. And that's the ball game right there. James Fitch is the Vice President of Engineering at New Way Industries, a leader in designing and fabricating precision metal products serving many industries worldwide. With a manufacturing career spanning five decades, 
Games Overseas Estimating, Product Development Group, the Manufacturing Engineering Group, and the Prototype Shop from New Ways Headquarters in Des Plaines, Illinois. Jim, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. I appreciate you coming on and explaining a little more the, the thoughts behind the blog post that was written. I took some notes here, and I think that these are some fun things to think about. And particularly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that phrase, technology trust, to my arsenal. Any closing thoughts? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I always like having a soapbox to pontificate. <laughs> so thanks for giving me that opportunity. And really, the biggest thanks is for doing what you did for starting paperless. That's That was a big risk to do that. And I'm really happy that you took it upon yourself to go ahead and do that and build this really very fantastic tool that I feel in an evolutionary state is in its earliest days. I can't wait to see what this thing becomes. Give it a few more years with all the smart cats you got working for you now. I work with them all every day and, I, and they're great folks. It's a great team. Support's great. Your developers are great. So no, if I can help in any way, make what I think is a fantastic tool even fantasticer, then count me in. So thank you. Well, I really appreciate the kind words and I couldn't agree more. I walk into Boston into the headquarters and there are so many smart young people that are so passionate about making a difference in manufacturing. So I'm glad that that shows through and yeah, we have a vision of where we want to be. And I know we, we have a tremendous product today, but I am so excited about you know, say in the next five years, what we will look like and how we will be changing for the better the way American manufacturers make parts. Yeah. Well, I saw that. I first viewed it. I said, this is going to go someplace. I can see it right away. All right. Well, thanks again, Jim. And for the listeners, I'm going to, you've probably heard me say this before, but great way of thinking about digital transformation is innovate, automate, or evaporate. And hopefully Jim today gave you some ways to make the implementation of your own journey in digital transformation a little easier. Until next time, let's keep those lasers cutting and those spindles turning. Have a awesome day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.